Hello, I'm Rob Lord. Welcome to the From Silence, Something to Say podcast, episode number four. If you've missed the previous episodes, let me remind you that this is a podcast about seeking wisdom to live a more flourishing life. As Brian McLaren said, it's what we all want, and it's pretty simple, really. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just to exist, but to thrive. We want to be less lonely, exhausted, less conflicted or afraid, and more awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. And we capture this kind of mindful, over-brimming life in terms of well-being, shalom, blessedness, wholeness, life to the full, and above all, flourishing. I want to share with you today about why it is good to be you. I want you to listen to these amazing truths from Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13 and 14. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. In my translation, it would simply be this. Be you. No one else can. Trappist monk Thomas Merton, in his book, New Seeds of Contemplation, said this, For me to be a saint means to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I am and discovering my true self. I can't think of any lines in contemporary spirituality more powerful than those. One could spend a lifetime pondering and putting into effect that insight. In other words, flourishing is the issue, a problem of finding out who I am and discovering my true self. Again, Thomas Merton, why do we have to spend our lives striving to be something we would never want to be if we only knew what we wanted? Why do we waste our time doing things which, if we only stop to think about them, are just the opposite of what we were made for? We cannot become ourselves unless we know ourselves. Let me tell you a story to help us understand. About a month and a half ago, I had the occasion to meet someone very briefly. And the second time I saw her, the first words that came out of her mouth were these. I hear you're an introvert. (laughs) Kind of took me by surprise and I wanted to say yes and I'm right-handed and I don't have much hair. But as I stopped to think about what she was saying, obviously someone had filled her in about how they understood me, how they defined me. But if we are fearfully and wonderfully made, then we have to understand that God gives us creation gifts. In other words, the ability to have preferences and patterns in our personality and the way in which we live. For example, the idea of introversion and extroversion. People can narrow us down, can't they? They can say, oh, he's an extrovert. He's so off the scale, we can hardly really get him to stop. Or, oh, he's such an introvert, uh, we just can't get much out of him. But we need to understand that preferences for introversion or extroversion are not about performance, and they're certainly not stereotypes. The gifts and talents and natural desires that have been placed in us by God 
are things which are valued by others, and we need to value them ourselves. I could give you an image, say, of handedness. That is to say, we have a right hand and we have a left hand. Can you imagine the difficulty and the disadvantage of only having one hand? Well, the same is true, that introversion and extroversion are simply a range of behaviors that we all have. In fact, Carl Jung, who was the first to develop this kind of language, said that no one can be just an introvert or just an extrovert. And yet, do you see how easy it is to define ourselves that way or to use stereotypes to define others? So yes, one of the creation gifts which God has given me, a unique expression of God's life, is that my preference is to regain a sense of vitality and energy and replenishment and flourishing through times of work alone, being alone. That's a very important part of who I am, but it's only one dimension. I can be also very extroverted in my life, in my work, certainly in my ministry, in my preaching, in my teaching, in my engaging with uh, my work and life. I had to be extroverted. So, Again, these are creation gifts. It's about discovering who you really are. And it's okay to embrace those gifts that God has given you. So we need to develop practices and dynamics of the spiritual life that will help us develop both sides of all of our preference patterns, not just introversion and extroversion, but all the many ways in which we are human. Becoming your true self, being yourself, would not make any spiritual sense if your uniqueness were not of immense value to God. But each person is exactly that, of inestimable value to God. But the uniqueness that comes from being our true selves is not a uniqueness of our own making. Identity is never simply a creation that we make. It is always a discovery. True identity is always a gift from God. So being most deeply your unique self is something that God desires because your true self is grounded in Jesus Christ. God created you in uniqueness and he seeks to restore you to that uniqueness in Christ. But here's our challenge. And again, I want to quote Thomas Merton. He said this, There is only one problem on which all my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find God. Dallas Willard in his book, Life Without Lack, Living in the Fullness of Psalm 23, says that it's okay to be who you are, wherever you are. That's where we have to begin, with the fact that God accepts us as we are, wherever we are, so that we can then accept ourselves. It's so important for each of us, isn't it, to honestly be who we are, no matter what has happened to us, what we've done, or any of our other unique inner qualities. It is okay to be who you are. God isn't afraid to meet us where we are. You, the right now you, are the person that Jesus desires to be with. And if you doubt this, just ask God to give you the faith to believe it.
think one of the great challenges and difficulties that we have that ruin the possibility of, of being with Jesus and experiencing his love and his presence is to somehow feel that it's not okay to be who you are. It's not okay to be an introvert. It's not okay to be an extrovert, whatever ways in which you're looking at it. It's not okay to be who you are or to do the work that you're doing. And if that's your view of life, the opportunity to truly flourish will be cut off before it even begins. So as the Father has sent Christ, so he sends us into the world. He paints us into the canvas of reality. And on that basis, and knowing that message and trusting it to be true, we can come to understand that it is good that we are alive. Life is good, and it's good that we are who we are. It's good that we're doing the work that we do. That is so liberating. Let me finish this podcast by speaking about another challenge to this, this idea of becoming our true selves. Because before coming to know the true self that we are, we have to confront the false self, the one that we have usually spent a lifetime constructing and nourishing. Thomas Merton identifies the false self as the person we wish to present to the world and the person we want the whole world to revolve around. Our false self is who we think we are. It's our mental self-image, our social agreement, which most people spend their whole lives living up to or down to. And keeping this false self alive, oh my gosh, doesn't it take so much energy, so much work? It's an all-consuming effort. So how can we work towards becoming our true self? How can we cooperate with God's grace and love? to become a greater expression of who we really are. There are many ways, but one tool that has been especially powerful and transformative in my own journey is a tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a powerful tool for self-discovery and spiritual transformation, but it shouldn't be your only tool. You need other practices like study, and meditation, contemplative prayer, life in community with others. While self-discovery is important, it's not the Enneagram's final objective. The Enneagram's purpose is to help us uncover the traps that keep us from living fully and freely and flourishing as our true self so that we will use our unique, authentic gifts and preferences for the good of others and for the world. I like the way Richard Rohr says it. He says, our deepest sin and our greatest gift are two sides of the same coin. We spend the first part of our life creating our self-image and our ego by building on what we do well. That's a necessary stage. But by our 20s, our personality type is well established because it works for us in some strange way. But in the middle of our life, we may begin to see the other side of the coin, the shadow, the dark side of our gift. This is where the Enneagram can help us to recognize this game for what it is, and to disarm ourselves, to abandon the defense of the false self that we have created. We're letting go of what only seems good and discovering what in us is really good. Again, as Psalm 139 says, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So my friends, you are the only you who has ever lived. 
You are a never-to-be-repeated story of grace. You are the beloved. If you cannot hear the sound of the genuine in you, you will all of your life spend your days on the ends of strings that somebody else pulls. But God's heart and God's desire is saying to you that it is good to be who you are.